Hello and welcome to the call. This is Susie Pomerantz. I'm the founder of the Leading Coaches Center, and you have just dialed into the Leading Coaches Community Mastermind. And I'm really, really excited that each of you are here, and I know how many meaningful things you could be doing with your time, and I appreciate you for choosing to spend the time with us this morning or midday, regardless of where you are. It could be morning or midday. Um, and just a few little logistics before I introduce Carlin Sloan, who is our featured leading coach today. Um, if you are someplace noisy and would like to mute or unmute yourself, the way to do that is by pressing star six. Um, we're going to keep the lines unmuted because we're gonna, we want to talk. We want to engage in a dialogue and have it be a real mastermind conversation where everyone gets to play. And this call is being recorded, as you just heard on the announcement, um, and we'll post it afterwards in the Leaders Clubhouse, which you can access from within the Leading Coaches Center. And just to also let you know that if you're on Facebook right now, if you click through on Facebook, if you do in the search box Leading Coaches Center, you can access our Facebook page. And we will be using that page throughout the call so that you can type notes or questions to each other on the wall. On the, on the Facebook page. Um, so again, that's Leading Coaches Center. Just plug that into the search bar in Facebook and you'll get to our page and you'll see a lovely picture of Carlin so you can see what she looks like. And um, we now in the Leading Coaches Center, have th we have 356 members. So if you haven't been to the site lately, I would encourage you to go click in and look around the members and say hello to new members and get to know people because it's a great place to connect with each other. Um, and because we want this to be a dialogue, um, instead of going around now and letting everyone check in, I'm going to ask that when you speak up in the course of the dialogue that you tell us your name and one thing about you, perhaps how long you've been in the coaching business or who you serve or where you're located or whatever you choose. Um, if you want to tell us something unique about you, that's fine too, and then we'll engage in the dialogue at that point. Um, but now I am super, super excited to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Carlin Sloan. Carlin is an expert at what makes great leaders tick. She has been studying it for almost 20 years. She's actually a pioneer of our field of executive coaching. Um, back in 1994, she founded the first coaching company in Silicon Valley geared toward Generation X employees. And Carlin and I have known each other Gosh, Carlin, it's probably since the late 90s. I think um, you're right. We, we, yeah, we first met at one of the early executive coaching summits, and we've collaborated in a multitude of ways since then. And she's not only a brilliant, masterful coach and facilitator, she's a business leader, she's an author, she's a new mom, she has a huge commitment <laughs> to making corporations and the world a better place. Um, the nitty-gritty is she's the CEO of Carlin Sloan & Company, which is a global leadership development firm. She's an author two and a half times over, so she's the author of Smarter, Faster, Better, as well as the leadership book that she's going to share with us today, which is called Unfear. And then she's got another book that's about to come out called Lemonade, um, which is a fabulous title for a leadership book. And... Um, and if you want to access a free sample chapter of her book, Unfair, you can do that anytime at the Library of Professional Coaching if you click on the Bookstore tab. And once you're there, after you, you, know, you can download a free ch sample chapter of her book, but also if you click on the image of her book cover in the sidebar, it will take you directly to where you can purchase her book. Um, and this 
it really is one of those books that you're going to want to buy a copy of it for every one of your clients. So <laughs> without further ado, welcome, Carlin. <laughs> Thank you for the plug, Susie. <laughs> yeah, um, you bet. And uh, I am just, I'm delighted to be here. And, um, and my hope for this call is I'm just going to talk a little bit about where the idea for this book came from, what the book is about, and then facilitate a dialogue with everybody and just sort of hear what you're hearing from your clients that might attach itself to the messages in this book. So um, the short version of why I wrote Unfear um, is I was at a conference of leaders in uh, Monterey, California, and it was um, sponsored by Cambridge University. It's called the Prince of Wales Business and the Environment Program. And during this this conference, it's a really interesting conference sponsored by um, by the Prince of Wales, and it's uh, it, it mostly business leaders and heads of governments. And so, you know, I'm sitting next to the you know Minister of Water for Uganda and <laughs> the head of Dow Chemical, and it was just this really big highfalutin group. And at the end of three days of information about business and the environment, I was just devastated. I was so sad. I felt afraid. And I looked around me at everybody in this room, and there was no sense of relationship and community amongst these people who'd just been through this conference. And I felt like I was watching all these people who were supposed to help us solve the world's problems go back to their jobs with a sense of fear and unrest. And I, I, I was so concerned about that moment in time, about you know what's happening on our planet um, and what's happening if leaders themselves are feeling disenfranchised and fearful, um, that I decided I would look into fear and write a book about it and what we can do to help leaders and their teams and organizations overcome fear and use fear effectively. Um, and I came up with the, the word unfear. And I'm, I'm going to post a few things on the Facebook page if anybody wants to follow along. Um, I posted the definition of unfear on the Facebook page. And it's confidence in one's ability to overcome the odds and create a positive outcome no matter what the circumstance. And I think it's really high time for this concept. We really need it right now. Um, and it's not fearlessness, and that was something really important to me is that I wanted to find something that wasn't about being fearless because fear is useful. I mean, when we need to survive, we need our fear, um, but we also need to be able to transcend that fear. So I needed a new word, and that's why the title. Um, there are four basic practices in the book, um, and I'm posting those right now on the Facebook page. And those four practices are basically what the book is built around. And the first one is accepting the real and focusing on the future. Uh, the second is building relationships and community. The third is viewing challenges as opportunities. And the fourth is practicing physical and mental discipline. And I really looked carefully at leaders who were successful in navigating change and challenge and uncertainty. And those were the four practices that really helped them do so. Um, so with things happening in the world like nuclear meltdowns and climate change and terrorism and all these you know, sort of um, critical mass of fearful events, um, I've been I've been talking a lot about these concepts, and I think 
right now the book is resonating even more than when it came out last year. Um, and um, so the a dialogue that I want to invite you all to participate in is what fears are you seeing in your clients and their organizations? And, um, and then we can discuss, you know, how are you helping them to navigate that fear and get through it in a positive and powerful way? Um, so I'm just going to open it to the group. <coughs> and please introduce yourself before you chat. And if you've muted yourself, don't forget to star six to unmute yourself so we can hear you. Um, th this is Maynard Brussman in San Francisco. Hi. Hi, Maynard. Nice uh, to meet hi. you. Yeah, great to hear you, uh, you as well. And Susie, um, I actually met with uh, uh, some potential new executive. I'm a, I'm a corporate psychologist and executive coach in San Francisco. And I just met with, uh, I'm going to have be coaching these three new executives at the University of California, San Francisco. And I met with them for the first time yesterday um, in a group with their um, VP. And literally the whole conversation seemed to be about change, fear, and most importantly about uncertainty. Yeah. And I haven't actually begun the executive coaching, but that is literally throughout our dialogue you know, it's kind of this orientation meeting. So much of it was about change, fear, and how everything in their business, obviously the whole world now is uncertain, but it was, absolutely was about uncertainty. Yeah, and, and and is that something that you're seeing in multiple places, or was it just that uh, that particular organization? I think, well, I've been coaching for over 25 years. I'll tell you, right now, I've never seen it as much in my practice. I know, as Susie, I work a lot with lawyers and, you know, I don't think it's true of all of my clients, but I think, um, you know, it's true of quite a bit of them. And some of them, like I have an accountancy, I think they really do go to the negative, the glass is half empty, the pessimism, you know, sort of almost like the personality of the organization. And other clients that I have do seem to be more optimistic and see what's possible and, you know, seem to be able to overcome the, the fear. But the accountants, they, they seem to immediately go into the uh, the fear, the pessimism, and, yeah. You know, get, get, get locked up, you know, so it's kind of a mixed bag with my, my clients. I'm curious, this is Susie, um, and this question's for you, Maynard, as well as you, Carlin. Do, do you guys find that your clients are expressing it as fear and expressing it as uncertainty, or they're just sort of expressing whatever their concerns are and not necessarily identifying it and labeling it as fear? Mineral, I'll let you start with that. Yeah, for me the latter for me the latter I, I really think yeah, they're not using the word fear. They're you know, they're they're describing the circumstance. But they're not yeah. you know using the word fear. But it's just I think underlying it again, I guess as a psychologist in me, is this anxiety. There's mm -hmm. just yeah. so much anxiety about what's going on. And I think, you know, again, I they're not using the word anxiety. I'm just breathing and I didn't experience it years ago. Now it just seems like they're just anxious because they don't know tomorrow, you know, what, what's going what's gonna to be coming, which is probably true of all of us. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. And I think, you know, my answer to that question is that um, it's more behavioral and seeing people operate from fight or flight um, and sometimes freeze, you know, sort of paralysis in decision making. And what I'm seeing with the leaders that we coach is that they're getting more conservative and not taking risks and not focusing on innovation, not focusing on investment, just focusing on 
let's get everybody together, let's sit on our cash reserves. Um, people are being more competitive um, internally with each other rather than looking at how do we compete with our competitors in the marketplace. So you see people who are sort of pitted against each other um, thinking that they might need to do that in order to survive. So they get more me-focused rather than we-focused is what I'm seeing. And, I, and I'm really curious to hear if that's something other people are seeing as well. Yeah, yeah. Carlin, hi, this is Ann Miller. Good to, Hello, good to hear Ann. you. Hi. Um, I, you know, I love this work that you're doing here because uh, I, too, have seen what you're describing and what Maynard had described, mm -hmm. and I, I find that a lot of people are playing what I call playing not to lose, mm -hmm. and, um, and that if you explore it a little bit further, I'm finding a big sense of loss of purpose. Amongst, yeah. um, and I think when you talk about unfear, it's people who have um, rediscovered a sense of purpose because mm -hmm. uh, if you're operating in that context, and so I've found that that's one way to kind of get people onto, uh, you know, into that space. You bet. Yeah, I think that's what's really it's it's what's exciting right now is that people are starving for purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, and when you start building that conversation about what's meaningful in your work, what's meaningful in your organization, what can you rally around together, that really helps people to transcend that sort of individual survival instinct. Right. Yeah. Hi, this is Susan Meyer, and um, my biggest client right now is the Human Resources Administration of the City of New York, which is the agency that provides basically all of the um, – monetary and job training supports for um, marginal families. And I'm, I'm seeing my clients are middle and upper managers, and they've gone from a position of being very innovative and very optimistic about what could be done to change people's lives to a total fear mentality um, on two levels, for their own jobs, for the future of their agency, and for their clients as we keep on seeing service reductions and all kinds of things all over the place. So um, it's, it's very hard to shift them back to a position of trying to be innovative and, and creative. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the brain um, shuts down during fear. It is, our, our cognitive functioning goes away and we go into this, sort of more primal, primitive way of being. And it's self-protective, but it's not protective of the whole. And, um, and I'm really fascinated at what's happening in many organizations around that. So how, how are you trying to intervene and help them? What's, what does your work like, look like? It's right now. It's it's a little difficult to say because we're <laughs> we're having problem with problems with the funding cycle. So we're about yeah. to start, but we haven't started yet. Um, so you know that just makes it worse. But towards the end of the last cycle, it was really trying to get people a little more grounded um, in the reality of the fact that that their client. They couldn't lose sight of what had drawn them to this particular work in the first place. And they couldn't lose sight of the fact that even the tiniest win was going to move their, their clients forward. Um, yeah, wonderful. 
Hi, this is Mary Levine. Um, I've had a slightly different experience with my clients, um, although I have to say that the words change, fear, uncertainty, and anxiety describe them. I want to add the word um, panicked. Mm. And um, what I am sensing is people are panicked because they don't know what changes are going to occur and they don't know what's going to happen to them or their work or their, uh, in, in the medical field, patients or clients, whatever their yeah. particular um, um, sector is. But this panic that they have absolutely makes it impossible for them to think of anything innovative or creative. I mean, that is so far away from where they, what they can tolerate mentally and emotionally and even intellectually. They just feel like they are... Um, uh, bound in a way that they don't see a way to get free. Yeah. And so I'm very interested in this topic and hope that there are some suggestions for how to help people who are the, probably most of the people we're dealing with are in similar situations at different levels. But I'd be interested yeah, in any I, things that are working. I'd be happy to offer a couple of the tools from the book um, before the end of the call. You know, if anybody has specific issues that they want an exercise around, we could talk about that as well. Um, because the, the book is basically um, full of interventions. <laughs> so it's uh -huh. a lot of different coaching exercises and sort of team or individual-based exercises. And I'm just writing a note about one that I could share with you guys. In a few that would minutes. be great. That would be great, Carlin. Hi, Carlin. This is uh, Lee Salmon. Uh, Hello, Lee. Hi. I haven't you in a bit. Um, I'm in Washington, D.C., for those of you that don't know me, but I used to work in the federal government for about 22 years, and now I'm out um, as an independent coach. Uh, there's two areas where I <clears throat> work with my clients and uh, fear is showing up. One, I've been working on uh, a project to transform K-12 through educational uh, system in the state of Texas. Uh, working with uh, a group of coaches to uh, help coach principals to uh, create information on their campuses. Wonderful. And in that particular case, there was a lot of innovation and creativity and excitement in the program uh, until the, uh, <clears throat> actually this spring when all the state budgets started rolling down and these principals were then faced with having to fire or let loose a number of their uh, teachers. Uh, their resource base was cut significantly, and most of them were just into complete panic mode uh, about what they were going to be able to do without having to for being forced to make changes or plans without actually having known exactly what their budgets are going to be. So that was one example, and that still continues. The second is within uh, the U.S. federal government um, doing some coaching over at National Science Foundation with some executives. And they're, <clears throat> they're faced with uh, significant budget cuts that are coming, uh, as a number of federal agencies are. Mm -hmm. And in particular, it's affecting the uh, innovation in science uh, yeah. because they're not able to really uh, give the kind of uh, benefits um, you know, special awards and promotions for really creative work uh, any longer. Those yeah. 
that funding has been significantly cut to almost nothing. So uh, how they keep, you know, a very bright group of people uh, innovating and motivated and excited about science is a huge challenge for them. Um, Yes. So those are those are two examples. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, tell you about a, a little YouTube video that could be really interesting for um, some of these folks around motivating. Um, it's uh, a Dan Pink video. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but it's about recent research in motivation that's not financial. And um, and it's a, a quick little animation, and I will I'll find it and I'll post the link on the Facebook page. Um, but uh, you know I'm I'm seeing it a lot as well um, in the private sector, but I'm certain that it's the public sector is is uh, an even greater uh, challenge as far as innovation. Um, but I will I will post that for you because it might be useful. Great. And if you and if we think about it, you know if that's what we're looking at in the sciences. You know, we're the the cycle of fear actually creates huge impact, you know, economically and for our viability as a country in the United States. Well, Carlin, this is Susie. It's so powerful what you said about what the neurosciences are now revealing about what happens in our brain physiologically, when we experience fear, even if we don't label it as such, you know, the brain disconnects, it's in pure survival mode. And um, I'm seeing that with just about all of my clients. And one of the things that I find is powerful is to just kind of help, you know, how as coaches we hold the mirror up. And sometimes they haven't even identified that what they're doing is an anxiety response or a fear-based behavior. You know, they don't label it as that. They're not aware of it. They just know they're hurting. You know, they know that things aren't working. But they don't necessarily identify it as fear or fear of what. And so I find that there's, like, a lot of power in just helping them with that awareness. Like, oh, this is pure anxiety, and your brain is in survival mode, and this is not actually Mm -hmm. anything that you caused. You know, you can – and just with that awareness, it tends to free up all kinds of other possibilities. Yeah, I think you're absolutely on to something there. This is uh, this is Maynard again. You know, actually listening to the, everybody talk about it, you know what's coming up for me is that I guess some of my own fear, you know, and it reminds me of like I was in the earthquake in San Francisco and I had to deal with all of that back in 89, but then I had to help everybody else that was dealing with it. And so it's almost like you're you're in the same soup. I mean, like we're all dealing with a lot of these issues. It's not like they have all of this and we're home free. I mean, we've got our own insecurities and uncertainties and competition, and we're trying to help other people as well. Yeah. That is such a great point, Maynard, because I find that I'm often, you know, because fear is contagious, right? So as my clients are venting or whatever it is that they're doing and I'm listening and taking it in, it's it definitely requires a different level of work as the coach than it used to require because, I, you know, I, I have to keep myself grounded and breathing and open and free so that I don't take on and catch their anxiety and then, you know, have it escalate into my own, right? So there's, it's exactly what you were just saying, Maynard, it's this different level of listening now that has to happen because um, because I have to manage 
not taking on their anxiety. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and and it's a it's an interesting moment when you have to figure out, you know, how how do I balance, you know, my own belief about how at risk my client is, for example. Like if if I'm coaching someone whose division might be cut, you know, how much am I focusing with him on you know, how fearful he is about his job and his survival and how much do I try and really talk to, talk with him about possibility and hanging on and believing in the future. That's a really good point, actually, because it has to do with the reality that our clients are facing. Mm-hmm. This is Susan Spiro in Denver. Hi, Carla. Oh, hello, um, Susan. And Maynard's comment reminded me of something that a clergy person said to me yesterday. We were talking about a healing service that we were going to lead for her congregation. And she said, um, it's really hard to get people interested. We're talking about the notion of helping other people when you're a mess. And she said, it's really hard to, to motivate people to reach out and help other people in the community when they feel so threatened and uncomfortable themselves. And then she quoted, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the attribution, someone who said, even when I'm a mess myself, if I can get it together to reach out and help someone else, it helps me to heal me. Mm. And and that was an an important reminder because some of my clients say, well, I, I I can't do that and help the team. I don't have enough ground to stand on my own. What would it do for you and your own fear, to mitigate your own fear, if you were to do something proactive and help support the other people who've been in the earthquake, to use your example, Maynard? Yeah. And it's 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 one of the ways I think that as coaches we help them remember that if I reach out and help somebody else, it's not only being a good doobie and tell my scout leader, but it actually is going to help me manage my own fear. So that's what your comment reminded me of. Um, have, this is Mary Marcus. Oh, somebody may want to comment on what you just said, and I was going to make a new comment, so maybe I should create some space um, before I make a new comment. Well, I'll just pick up on what was said before, and Mary, thanks for leaving that space. Um, I was reminded by that story of a book that I read quite a long time ago about a woman who everything in her life was going badly. It's a true story, and she was really down about as depressed as anyone could be. And somebody said to her, you know, you should just every day go out and do something for someone else. And so uh, without going into all the details, she did that, and it actually transformed her life. So what I'm taking from that story and what you have just said is that maybe if we can encourage our our clients to do something positive for somebody in their group or organization that's having probably similar trouble or some related trouble, that that whole effort to begin to look outside of themselves and work with somebody in a positive way, that might actually begin to bring some breakthroughs for for our clients. Yeah, I I love what you just said, and um, and I want to pipe in with some research that backs that up. Um, Barbara Fredrickson, who wrote a wonderful book called Positivity, um, is a positive psychologist who's done really interesting breakthrough research. And um, what she's found is she she has a theory called the broaden and build theory. And what she's found is when people start doing those sorts of things. Um, mm-hmm. 
happiness and engagement are increased and it has an exponential effect. So if you have Mm -hmm. multiple people doing that in an organization, and a really easy example is just appreciating one person a day, you know, saying thank you or appreciating something they did, you know, the impact is huge. Right, and I want to second that. It can be the smallest thing, but if we can encourage our clients to even do one small thing each day, it can start that um, cycle of helping everybody in quite a significant way. I don't mean to say that's the answer, Carlin, for a lot of these deep things, but uh, it might be one small factor in trying to help people get out of this depth that they're in of despair. It really is, and you know, one of the exercises that I can share that's a really easy one, this one isn't even in the book actually, but it's a really easy appreciation exercise, is to have your client put four or five coins in their right pocket at the beginning of the day, and every time they appreciate someone, they transfer the coin to their (laughs) left pocket, Um, and by the end of the day, the goal is to have transferred them all. And it's a really nice tactile, simple exercise that sort of builds people's consciousness around appreciation. And this is Gary in Toronto, and uh, at the end of the day, give that money away to somebody. Yeah, beautiful. Mm, (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. I think it's funny when I said this is Mary Marcus, I didn't introduce that I am with Breakthrough Consulting, but all of a sudden I noticed, <laughs> whether you knew it or not, you started, multiple people started using the word breakthrough, so I think that's pretty interesting <laughs> from an unconscious, I think it was a pretty unconscious point of view, and still I noticed it. So I'm going to take the conversation in a little bit different way and tell, make it very personal, and... Uh, While I'm listening to the conversation that we've just been having, I was getting a stomach ache and I was getting um, tightness in the back of my head and I was noticing that what we were talking about was um, contagious for me and threw me into a lot of fear and doubt and anxiety um, from our conversation today. So it is very contagious. And then I was continuing to listen, and I wholeheartedly practice. The reason I have such a full coaching book is that's how I give, and I'm healing myself with every coaching experience. I have a lot to do, so I'm sure there will be a lot of coaches. Sometimes I have my uh, executives go into volunteer in a hospital, especially um, in a critically ill, very important, all this outward activity, I totally agree. However, what we haven't discussed and that we may or may not do with our clients is what I had to do to be able to continue to participate in this call. So I started losing my breath, getting a stomachache and having a headache. And so what I had to do is I had to I was looking around, where do I go, what do I say, how do I express myself, and then I realized, oh, I see, I have to administer to myself first, and I have to go inward, because there isn't that strength outward. Our outward systems, if we're telling the truth, are crumbling, not going to crumble. Our outward systems are crumbling, and our environment is, and there is a lot of scary stuff. And everything they're going through, them, us, me, in this phone call, would be important to validate. 
and there are many exercises to do out, and we're an outward-focused culture, and very few exercises that are acceptable or easy to access that are in. And so at the end of the day, the person who's lost their funding, lost their job, lost their house, lost their life or people's lives, at the end of the day, there's got to be some inner fortitude. And I haven't read your book yet, Carlin, and it certainly may go into that. And I wonder what we can do with our own inner practices, the way I had to catch my breath and root myself and ground myself. I wonder if at the end of the day we can't kiss it and make it better. We can't be naive to what is going on in the world after you sat in that sustainability conference for all those days and our leaders are not feeling well. So we can validate it. And then can we help our clients with inward connection and and inward awareness so that at the end, if there isn't anything else, there's a core inner connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love that you bring it to the inner because I think that's the key to everything um, is that we all have this amazing ability to activate our autonomic nervous system, to actually get ourselves out of fear states. You know, it's actually something that's hardwired into us um, and it's also about if we're able to build community and um, follow our practices, you know, we have this incredible capacity as a human species to innovate and change things. Um, and change is really accessible and really rapid right now. And um, and one thing I want to say about um, the book is that um, what, it, what I really needed to do for my healing was look at companies that are doing this right and what's being born in this time where all these structures are, are dying away, what's being born is so exciting. I mean, there are these companies that are doing incredible things that are not just sustainable but are generative and are, are really, you know, planting these wonderful seeds for the future. So I think, you know, part of getting out of the fear is actually finding the good stories, you know, really looking at, you know, who is doing good stuff and how do we center ourselves and and go to that place where we we know that we are okay. You know, we we know that things will be okay because we will we always have ourselves at our inner core. So thank you for saying that, Mary. Carolyn, this is Wayne Kasky in Baltimore. Hello, um, Wayne. I had a client who uh, who uh, came to me and said that he was in fear. And I and I asked him, well, where does this fear come from? And he said, I watch the nightly news, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it makes mm-hmm. it makes me fearful. Yes. So <clears throat> I challenged him to stop watching the nightly news. Beautiful. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and it was amazing how his uh, his outlook changed. Um, another thing that I've used, and I've used it very recently. My wife was ill, quite ill, and. Uh, I was uh, trying to deal with my fear, and I remembered in the 12-step program I was in that the the question was, how are things this second? How are things this minute? Mm. How are things this day? And I think um, reminding our clients that everybody lives in the moment and not next week or in six months, 
yeah. may also be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I will say um, the the media thing, I mean, what a simple, elegant intervention is just stop. <laughs> just take a holiday from the media for, for a little while and see how it how it affects you. It's really a healing thing to do. This is Susan Spiro again, uh, and and I take Wayne. I take your two comments about the news and about living in the moment, and I'm reminded that my husband often says to me, "Why do you watch the evening news? It's so depressing." But it, I reframe it and I say, "Okay, watching the the nightly news gives me some perspective on my own life. You know, I think I have issues. I'm not in the <laughs> middle of a hurricane." And. Um, mm-hmm. So if people are doing something, be it the nightly news or whatever, another way to go is to say, can we reframe this? And instead of saying it's depressing, how can we be present tense about it and say, what what good can we take out of this bad news? Um, another perspective. Yeah, I like it. Mm-hmm. Susie? Yeah. Hi, I'm my name is Kristen Tomzak. Hi, Kristen. Hi, calling from Oregon. Um, thank you, everyone, for um, I love the conversation. Um, I, I, it reminds me of the word community uh, coming from common unity, and one thing that we all have together here is that common unity that we are. Uh, we are talented, you know, enough to and, and, and purposeful enough to help other people through their difficult times. And um, I wanted to give you uh, a successful action that um, I've had. I've been using um, 20 years ago when the Berlin Wall went down. Um, I went over to the former Soviet Union, and I've been, and I did a lot of work with government officials and uh, business leaders. And I, I was, let's say, trained. You know, I really learned a lot, like what works during extreme crisis, mm-hmm. when everything um, people have lost. You know, even their government. <laughs> you know, the 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 floor. You know, the the foundation of what their belief systems were, whatever. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, highly college educated and, you know, I haven't written any books or anything yet, you know, and and yet a very simple thing that I've learned that has been very successful with people over there in their transitioning from that extreme crisis and, and, and extreme loss to rebuilding their lives it reminds me of like our forefathers who came over to America. There's so many, you know, reminders of of these things and um, talking about that, you know, and and reminding people, um, looking for examples um, of of how did people face extreme crises and change like that. And um, I noticed too, some of my clients are coaches. Um, and they're going through these extreme panics and fears because they're losing their clients. They're losing corporate clients. Um, I lost two corporate clients uh, due to, you know, the economic time, uh, the times and all. And so one of the things that I've done that is, is so useful is when 
everything seems to be falling around us. I think of the Chinese word for crisis. Many of us might, might know that. It's two, 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 two characters. One is danger and one is opportunity. And this has been very helpful. When there's a crisis, to look at what is the danger, what is the risk, what can we lose, and get really real about that and assess it, and then focus on what's the opportunity and get the client, get, you know, get your brother or your sister or your friend or your, or your community member, you know, each other to look at, okay, what are the opportunities? And the thing that has worked really good for me is, re, is a process that I use to remind people and to dig who they really are. We do an assessment of their talents. We, we put the, the, the situation aside for a moment, and we work on them. And we go through a process of, of assessing all of the person's talents, their strengths, their abilities, what has worked all their life. Then we do an assessment of their personality, you know, what are their, you know, their character and all, and, and the strong points, what has worked for them. And it's a, and it's a process of, of getting them to emerge from the rubble, right, like the rebuilding of our, of our twin, twin towers, you know. And, and little by little they start remembering who they really are, what are these strengths, what has worked, and then we work on their purposes, all through their lives, and what has been enduring and what has been successful. And all I, all I know is it's a real simple process, but it seems to be pulling people up and, 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 and getting them through that, that membrane of fear and a constant reminder, you know, of that. So I just wanted to, to add sometimes the, the mo, more extreme the crisis appears, sometimes it's the more simple solution that works with people. And it really is excellent um, conversation and communication, you know, um, and cooperation uh, that really heals um, each other. I like your point, Kristen, and to build on what you just said as well as what Wayne said earlier about sort of reminding them about being in the moment, I think often – um, gratitude is a very interesting place to go because it's hard to it's hard to hold a focus on fear and anxiety if you're being asked to look for what you're grateful for. It's hard for the two to coexist in our in our minds. Um, so I think even just I mean I know that that's something that I find when it, when all of it's compounding and you mentioned that too, Kristen. When everything is compounding, right? Like it seems like everything's falling apart at once, and it often seems that way, right? It's not just one thing going oh, yeah. wrong. It's you know, an earthquake followed by a hurricane, followed by a tropical storm, you know, as, as we had yeah, in the East Coast here in. recently. Um, you know, everything kind of goes, it's like it all blows up at once because it's, it's that age-old principle of, you know, what we focus on expands. And so we start seeing all the places where everything's falling apart. And, and then all of a sudden, everywhere we look, everything's falling apart. And I think just kind of breaking that cycle and shifting to a place of gratitude really kind of helps, you know, helps us change what we're looking for, you know, change what, what evidence we're seeking. It puts the focus. Um, are you familiar, uh, well, many of you may be familiar with Sarah Ben Brannock. She wrote Simple Abundance, um, and she's a dear friend of mine, and she just went through an extreme life crisis, 
and she was uh, saying that her therapy, her her number one therapy, you know, uh, was to write 100 things she's grateful for. And it was so hard. It was so hard, you know, but forcing ourselves to write, make make a list, one to a hundred. And then add at least five things every single day, even if it's being grateful that for that little hummingbird that's outside the window. But get it out. And your attention goes from inward where there is the fear, right, that you know how like you feel like you're collapsing, you know, to exteriorizing out, like your attention goes out, looking out. I thought that was brilliant. So simple. So simple. Is there anybody else who wants to share some simple, um, really successful thing that they're able to do with their clients in the face of fear? This is uh, this is Maynard again. You know, it's interesting when I think about that conversation that I had yesterday. It was just that orientation meeting with the three direct reports from the VP. When the VP had to leave to go to a meeting, he talked about. Um, he would support reflection in his people because everybody is just engaged and busy all the time. Mm-hmm. And that brought up an idea. I thought, well, when I meet these people, maybe it depends. Everybody's different. If they're open to it, you know, maybe meditation. You know, I find that's mm-hmm. an incredible place to be, you know, a place of stillness and reflection. You know, gratitude is, is amazing to me, you know, as well. But we're all so busy and engaged. I think that's where the anxiety comes. But if you can get into this, whether you call it meditation or relaxation or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you know, if you could get in more of that reflective state and not a uh, activated state, very often I find even myself, that's where the problem solving or the creativity or the healing comes comes from. But it's a shift in mindset and physiological state, you know. And even the VP left and seeded that idea probably for himself and with his people that we begin this engagement that he thought that that would be a great idea to, you know, you know, for people to be able to allow themselves to, you know, to stop <laughs> and, you know, not be connected like with the cell phones and the BlackBerry and everything else, which we're all doing, and just be quiet and still. And I think that's an incredible place to be in when you're having anxiety and fear. Yeah, and I, I just want to jump in and say there is such a wonderful moment um, in time in our corporate clients right now where people are really receptive to that idea. And, um, you know, our our consultancy has been all about the concept of, you know, enforced reflection time since we were founded, but it's it hasn't taken off in many of our clients until now. All of a sudden our clients are asking about meditation and are asking for, you know, well, how do we do this? And it's so exciting to me that um, you know we're at we're at this breaking point of connectedness and about you know or connectivity um, where you know people are burning out and they're realizing wait I need think time um, so I I find that quite exciting that you're able to really talk to them about that and they're excited about it. Yeah, you well, know, I talked to them about my own need, which is kind of like kind of like the counter coaching thing where. I just say, and people sometimes don't get it, that I like to be disconnected in the sense of I personally need to be disconnected in the sense of not 
not in a, you know, we're talking about emotionally or with people, but not wired all the time. You know, it's healthy for me not to be on the email or, and I think it is for people too, to not, you know, be connected in the sense of, you know, the, the emails and every, everything else, just to be able to be silent and quiet. And it just allows you to be more resilient and get, get your energy back. But this constant connectedness, I think, has, has a downside. Yeah. I think you have a – that's a really great point, and I'd love to know if there's any research to support that because um, I definitely hear that from a lot of people that the constant connectivity is a source of the anxiety because there's always – you can never quite get on top of it, right? It's like it's never done. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's creating that rat race mentality times 100, and I'm, I'd love to know if anyone's done any research studies on um, – you know, just the impact of the 24-7 connectivity and then that sort of feeds into the whole adrenaline, adrenaline junkie, um, you know, the vicious circle of it all. And um, I, I remember hearing um, Brian Johnson, who wrote the Philosopher's Notes, speak uh, at, at the CAM event a couple of years ago, and he said something which, you know, I, I don't know if it's based in research or not, but he cited that there were these studies done that, um, by checking your email throughout the day, all day long, you actually kill more brain cells than if you've been smoking pot all day long. <laughs> Hi, it's Mariel Levine again. I'll just mention a little experience that was reported about five neuroscientists who um, decided to go for a week out into the uh, wilderness area. And the, arrange- the uh, deal they had to make with each other is that they would leave their cell phones, Blackberries, computers, and everything at home and not consult them at all and just be totally free of them. And one of the people didn't even think he could possibly do that. He could not imagine life without those connections. But uh, he agreed to go with this group of five, and they went. And what happened to them that they report very happily is that the longer they were away from their electronic devices, the more creative ideas they had. And they were so shocked at the rush of creativity that they had when they were not bound to these electronic devices that when they came back, of course, they all um, had resolves to uh, have periods of time where they didn't involve themselves with the electronic devices. And I know that's not exactly to the point that we're talking about, but it does speak to what happens to our brains when we're not focusing on uh, emails and cell phones, et cetera. Mm. That's great. Carla, would now be a good time to share that exercise that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so so one that I think could could be really useful for people. This is this is not from the positive psychology stuff, which I think um is hugely impactful, which we've already talked about like gratitude and um helping people develop optimism. This is a little different. This is a little bit more confrontive, and this is an exercise um that you can use with an individual or a team. Um but I have found it to be really, really valuable, and that is helping people think about what they need to accept about reality in in order to move forward. And it's really simple. You know, it's really asking people, and I can ask all of you to, to participate in this exercise for just a couple of minutes. Just think of what reality you need to accept right now, um, something that you can't change. And it may be some loss that you've experienced. It may be just a new normal of, you know, things are changing really rapidly and you don't know what's going to happen next. 
Um, but once you're able to accept that real thing in your life, your practice, your leadership, your organization, the culture at large, there's an ability to go beyond it. And if we don't face things and accept them, we can act as if they're not there. And when I've used this exercise with executive teams, it's been really, really profound because what's happened is people have a very personal um, connection to this exercise. So an example is I was facilitating this team about a month ago, and the leader of the team is a senior muckety-muck in this financial services firm. And he said, well, what I need to accept right now is that my mother has Alzheimer's and that I am not as present as I used to be in my work. And his saying that to his team was so powerful. Um, they ended up having a discussion about what they were all accepting in their personal lives and how it was impacting their team. And they made a commitment to support each other and check in about those things. And what, what I thought during that session was it, was it was such an incredible thing to see them become a community. You know, from being a dispersed team that was sort of irritated with each other, um, they really went to talking about, you know, what was real in their lives and what was real in their work and what they wanted to do together and, and what future they wanted to create. So that was the little exercise I want to leave you with is just asking the question, what do you need to accept? And any comments or questions about that? Ooh, that's a very powerful question. Yeah. Carla, this is Susan. I love that exercise because it, it, it really sums up what we've been talking about for the whole hour is how do you give people a very simple but powerful tool um, to help them be present and help them be honest with each other and say it's okay to bring your whole self to – we bring our whole self to the the workplace, so we might as well acknowledge it. And how do we leverage that to get our work done better and be better people and be a community? Nice. Thanks. Thank you. Was somebody else going to say something? Yeah, this is Lee. Uh, <clears throat> um, what what that brings to mind to me is that a lot of the fear that people are in that you know drives them towards panic is is really this fear of loss mm-hmm. and. And and you only get through this fear of loss by um, uh, accepting what is real and what's present. So you know if you if we look at you know some of the work that was done on death and dying and the uh, the steps that one has to go through in order to uh, be able to have a new life moving forward, then I think uh, this the power of acceptance um, really helps ground oneself and gives you a basis in which to uh, to move forward. So I think that's right on. Thank you. And we just have a moment to wrap, and I'm, what I'm going to do is for anybody who's interested in the book, we're going to keep this um, uh, discount code up on my website. So if anybody wants that, I'm posting the discount key. Um, for everybody on this call on the Leading Coaches Center Facebook page. Um, So if you want to order the book, you can get it for cheap. (laughs) Um, And uh, thank you so much for having me, Susie. I'm really delighted to be with this wonderful group. 
Carlin, thank you so much. And I'm delighted that you were able to be with us. And um, it was wonderful to have everyone participate. And I, I um, am reminded of, just at the end of our call, I'm reminded of one of my favorite Yoda quotes from Star Wars, <laughs> um, which I'm, I just can't help but share because it just came up in what Lee was saying, that he says, um, the fear of loss is a path to the dark side. And then um, his follow-up comment to that is, train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. So we have not only wisdom from the, uh, the phenomenal <laughs> Carlin Sloan, but we have wisdom from Yoda as well. <laughs> oh, and I encourage everybody to um, download the free chapter from Carlin's book on the library of professionalcoaching.com and click through to order her book. And thank you, Carlin, for giving us the discount code. That's very generous. And um, and really wanted to just thank everybody for being here today, and we will post the recording. So if you want to share the recording or hear it again another time, we'll go ahead and post that in the Leaders Clubhouse as well. But it's been wonderful hearing all of your voices and um, old friends and new friends, and thank you to all of you for being here today. And thank you, Susie and Carlin. Yay, Carlin, thank, thank you. you.